Coy, a partner with Arnold Golden Gregory in the firm's DC office uh, and co-chair of our data privacy practice. Welcome to our podcast series, AGG Talks Background Screening. Our podcasts feature AGG colleagues and guests discussing business and legal issues and developments related to the background screening industry. I'm here today with Montserrat Miller, partner in our Atlanta office and co-chair of the background screening industry team here at AGG. Today, our episode will focus on redaction of identifiers in Michigan and California court records and what it means for background screening. Montserrat and I will discuss uh, the rationale behind the Michigan Supreme Court's order, the challenges posed by the order, uh, the court's revised implementation timeline, well as recent litigation developments in California affecting inclusion of identifiers in court records there. So Montserrat, let's get started. All right, let's get started, Kevin. Let's talk about my home state of Michigan first. Earlier this year, the Michigan Supreme Court issued a rulemaking that requires the redaction of date of birth from public records, from court records, leaving only the individual's name effectively. The rulemaking met with resistance from multiple parties, including the Professional Background Screening Association, PBSA, and consumer reporting agencies and employers have a six-month reprieve with the new rule now going into effect January 1, 2022. Montserrat, can you help us understand what the rulemaking says? Sure. So in a nutshell, court clerks will redact the date of birth from public records effective January of 2022. So next January. Originally, the rule was to go into effect July 1st of this year, but the Michigan State Court Administrator's Office relented after quite a bit of stakeholder involvement and pushed back the implementation date by six months. And so moving forward, public records such as criminal history records or the date of birth will be redacted. And what does the new rule mean for consumer reporting agencies that are going to be reporting court records in Michigan or from Michigan? Right. So upon implementation, the date of birth will be redacted from court records and court clerks will not verify date of birth verbally on a court record or limit a search of records using date of birth. And so this will, of course, pose a challenge to consumer reporting agencies, to CRAs, given that date of birth is an important and key identifier that is used to confirm a record is a match to either a job applicant or a candidate. And it's a necessary, as we know, a necessary identifier for purposes of accuracy in background screening. And and Kevin, I think both of us would caution background screening companies against reporting name matches only. And certainly when the industry standard is two matching identifiers, and in some cases, for example, for common names, three matching identifiers are required. And so with respect to identifiers and matching and accuracy, we've certainly seen litigation and even a CFPB enforcement action challenging background screeners practices if using only two identifiers when matching a criminal record to an individual with a common name. Meaning in those instances, if you were to match based on name and date of birth isn't enough for individuals with common names and you would require third identifiers such as address, social security number, or driver's license. But of course, by Michigan redacting date of birth will absolutely hinder background screening companies' ability to provide accurate records because that key identifier will be stripped and missing from the record. This is a a significant change. What was the rationale for the court's decision to redact date of birth? I mean, it certainly is a significant change. And, And it appears that 
the belief was that in doing this, they would protect individuals against identity theft by protecting their personal identifying information. And so the updates to the Michigan rules state that the clerk of the court is required to redact protected personal identifying information before providing direct access to the document via the internet. That was from the rules themselves. And they also address public documents containing protected personal identifying information provided to the public, whether in paper or electronic format. Having said that, I think this rulemaking is misguided because job applicants and candidates consent to a background check being done by their employer. They actually provide their date of birth in order for such a check to be run. And now the courts in Michigan are saying the date of birth cannot be used to verify a potential record belonging to an individual. So I don't see when you're operating in a consent-driven environment where the benefit is to the consumer by redacting the information that they themselves are providing and which can be used as a filter. Okay, well, first, as an aside, for those of our listeners that may want to go look at the rules themselves, in Michigan, the amendments to the rules here are to uh, the Michigan Court Rules 1.109 and 8.119 of the Michigan Court Rules, and the requirements are found in ADM File 2020-26. But Montserrat, when concern was expressed about Michigan's actions, did the courts offer any solutions for the background screening industry? So they did. And I'll take a step back. Certainly, there was quite a bit of pushback to this rulemaking. And certainly, PBSA was involved in that in trying to educate the court, if you will, about the importance of identifiers such as this. The court did offer a solution. It's an unworkable solution, but the solution was that the courts would be able to provide date of birth verification on records if the researcher, so the public record researcher or the court runner, could provide a signed release form at the point of request. But this is problematic for background screeners because often local researchers don't have access or don't have direct access to the release forms. And so the question became, and will become as we move forward on this, how will this consent work? And what's the mechanism? And how will this consent operate with the FCRA disclosure and authorization, which of course is a whole podcast unto itself in terms of what's a legally compliant form, but you would essentially have two parallel consents, one for the records and then one under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, the disclosure and authorization. So that remains to be seen if it's a workable solution. Yeah, certainly when this goes into effect next year, there are going to be administrative issues that are going to have to be worked through to, as you say, clarify what sort of consent the Michigan courts will find acceptable to provide date of birth consistent with their new requirements, which is going to create potentially additional work, not only for the consumer reporting agencies, but also for the court clerks. But let's shift gears a little bit now and talk about California. A recent court decision there is leading some counties to redact date of birth and court records there. The case is All of Us Are None versus Hamrick, which was decided by the Court of Appeals 4th Appellate District. Montserrat, what can you tell us about this case and how it's impacting the background screening industry in California? So this also will impact background screeners, as you mentioned, Kevin, because this case and the Michigan court efforts are similar in that they both seek to redact date of birth from public records, perhaps limited to criminal records, but they both seek to redact and or prevent a researcher from using date of birth as a filter. What's different is the mechanism by which it is being done. So in California, this change is brought about through litigation. 
And in Michigan, the change is brought directly by the courts. In California, in the Hamrick case, the background or some context is that the litigation was filed by a New Way Life Reentry Project, Social Justice Law Project, and the law firm of Devin Fox. And the plaintiffs are an organization that represents the rights of formerly incarcerated and convicted individuals. And they brought this lawsuit against the Superior Court of California, County of Riverside, and its clerk, Samuel Hamrick. If you read the complaint, there are several allegations, but for our purposes, I think the most important is that they allege, plaintiffs allege, that users of the Riverside Superior Court's public website may search the court's electronic index by inputting a date of birth and driver's license number, and that in searching the index in this way, they are in violation of the California rules of court. You know, Kevin, as you mentioned, it went up to the appellate level. On appeal, the court held that Rule 2.507 of California rules prohibits the Riverside Superior Court from allowing searches of its electronic criminal index by use of DOB or driver's license number. And I think it appears a bit of an open issue as to whether a researcher can go to the courthouse itself and search using a DOB. And it also appears at the same time that courts are starting to implement the court decision in varying ways around the state. And certainly I have heard anecdotally of different courts that are in fact implementing and not allowing use of DOB, either whether they're redacting or use as a filter. So that's where things stand. I know that both PBSA, for example, and and CDI, just like in Michigan, there was a strong challenge and an attempt to educate the courts. Same is happening in California. So both PBSA and CDIA filed an amicus letter with the California Supreme Court challenging the ruling. And that was just last month in mid-July. And that remains unresolved at this point in time. I mean, that is still pending. It'd be a better way of saying it. But at the end of the day, what is happening both in Michigan and California, I think, flies in the face of the FCRA requirement to provide accurate and complete information, background check reports, and redacting date of birth or limiting its ability to be used as a filter, I think hurts everyone, whether it's the employer, the job applicant, prospective tenants, because consumer reporting agencies need that key identifier, full date of birth, to ensure the accuracy of information reported in a background check report. So it's something that we should continue to challenge as an industry. I applaud the efforts of PBSA, CDIA in doing so, because it definitely has a significant impact on the ability of background screeners to provide accurate reports if a key filter, a key identifier is no longer there. It certainly makes the obligation of consumer reporting agencies to accurately report information, which way benefits everyone, more difficult as states take more identifiers out of play for those sorts of matching purposes. And we'll have to see, I mean, the Michigan Supreme Court trying to restrict access from an intervention standpoint, a little less clear what the goals of the plaintiffs in the California litigation are with that respect. And as you say, whether or not this would ultimately just affect internet searches in California, as opposed to also searches that would take place physically at the courthouse. We'll have to see how that plays out as this continues to develop in California. But Montserrat, I want to thank you for joining me today. We hope you found this discussion to be informative. If you have any questions or would like to submit your feedback or topics for a future podcast, please feel to reach out to Montserrat or to me. Uh, Future podcast episodes will be distributed through our AGG website and social media pages. You can find contact information on agg.com. Thank you again for joining us today. Thanks, everyone.